Last week we had Johnny K on and this week I had to do a back-to-back K edition and get his brother Nathan K on. I've known Nathan for a good few years. Um, He's an incredible guy who really has just been able to adapt whatever the world has thrown at him. Um, And I felt like it was the right time to get him on to just have a chat about everything from his backstory to what he does to race, to mental health, social media, COVID and nightclubs, everything. This is a fantastic, brilliant uh, interview that we did. I want to say interview, but it was just a casual chat that we have very often. Um, I can't wait for you to listen to this. So do continue to show love and support, share, um, leave your ratings and everything else to do with the podcast and enjoy this episode. Well, it was only right that I got you on in the end because, I mean, we had your brother on, um, you know, in the last episode. So here we are. I'm gassed to have you on this episode, uh, to use the word correctly. Mr. <laughs> Nathan K. how are you? <laughs> My brother, thank you very much for having me on. Well, firstly, I've got to say that the episode with Johnny um was absolutely amazing i thought it was really really insightful the way that you two spoke and as we were just saying i feel like as a person of color no matter what background you come from everyone's got their own story so it was nice to hear you both come from your different perspectives and have a conversation about that but i suppose if people want to hear more about that they can go and check out that episode we're here to talk about you you're a man of many talents yourself um, and I felt like it was right to get you on just to to dive into everything essentially that, that you've done over the years because I mean you've been a busy guy I've known you I, I forget how many years I've known you now I know it's been a few I think I've known you maybe four years I want to say four years I think yeah I, I think, think it's been like four yeah probably about that now yeah so yeah, you know, yeah I've, I've known you a healthy amount of time and I've seen you sort of grow um you know from when you had your synthesizer events that you used to do um but maybe i should stop talking and allow you to properly introduce yourself in the way that you want (laughs) no it's true it's definitely when we met maybe four years ago to what i'm doing now my life has been a backwards flip upside down everything has changed so when we first met, I started off as just like trying to get my foot in the door of the music events industry. Um, so literally just starting my own event because no one wanted to give me the opportunity. And then from there, just developed the relationships that I've got now. Some people are friends, some people just working and developed it more and more and more. But obviously over COVID, my event industry, music industry, lifestyle completely come to a halt. And so I've had to readjust what I'm doing and rethink the plan. And over the last year, maybe just before COVID, maybe a year and a half of just being creative as possible, to be honest, a lot of personal development, career development. And yeah, we're going to get into it, into specifics as we talk. Of course. So let's take it all the way back, follow a similar format that I did with your brother. Of course, the story might be uh, similar in some ways, but let's talk a bit about the, the early days of Nathan Kay. Um, and I think that it's probably a, a, a good place to start in terms of where did your early influences in music specifically come from? Okay. You know what? I'm someone who music has always, always been probably the most important thing in my life. From, I remember when I got my first ever phone, a Nokia, 
And I was so gassed. And I remember I watched there was a Snoop Dogg video on, vid- on TV, yeah. And I remember you used to get an advert to be like, text 87095 to get this music video. Bro, so I did that. I texted the music video and it didn't go on my phone. So I must have texted this music video about 25 times to try to get it onto my phone. A few weeks later, my mom gets the phone bill. Nathan, are you mad? I've got the discipline of a lifetime. This is when I was probably like nine years old. <laughs> But yeah, so that was probably the start of my journey. And from there, it's just been, I've always just watched MTV, Channel U. And I remember me and my brother used to watch these music videos and the music awards and be like, how lit would it be to actually be able to work in this industry? Like, I don't know how you get into it because it doesn't even seem possible. But imagine if you could actually do this and that was your life. And then it's just kind of seemed that like, the manifestation of that from when I was a kid to now has been crazy. And it started off with me literally trying to get my foot into the door. For anyone who know who knows who's trying to get into the industry or is in the industry, it's seemingly impossible unless you're either a creative yourself, like super talented, or you just know people, like you're in that circle. And I wasn't either. I, I don't necessarily want to be an artist myself. And I didn't have people who were in the industry doing bits. Like I just, I'm just a guy coming from South London and I don't know industry heads like that. So I went for meetings and meetings and meetings trying to sort it. And everyone just said the same thing to me. Like, you need to know people like, or you need to just be like, have gang who's basically coming up in the scene. And I didn't. And so I literally just decided I'm starting my own event just to get my foot in the door. And from there, just book people that I rate, that only work with people that I really think that they're really talented at what they do. And just show them the time and the appreciation of being like, I'm, I'm like, I wanna work with you because I really fuck with what you're doing. Like whatever that is, whether you're a DJ, artist, singer, um, or another promoter or whatever it is, and just trying to make the connections and just move from there. And yeah, the thing's just built on more and more and more. The more time and energy you put into something, the more it, the more it grows, like anything in life. Of course. And I think um, probably a, a good point to make is obviously your mother's a creative herself, um, in her own right, a very talented woman, and your brother as well with, with his uh, journalistic approach to things. So I mm-hmm. suppose you've always sort of come from a background of people who have just been very... Um, inspirational and aspirational in what they do um yeah so- definitely definitely like, like my, i've come from a really really creative family like as you said my brother with his journalistic approach of everything he does um and then my mum who's in the last few years career has absolutely flourished like with the BAFTA nomination and just creating very very um forward-thinking dramas for people like BBC and being approached by HBO and stuff like that and so it's Creative conversations in my household is just constant. It's just, that's all we talk about, movies, music, productions, whatever it is. And as I've got older, it's, I've realized that it's just embedded into me. It's just part of my personality that I just want to be creative. Whatever, whatever I'm doing, I just want to be creative and be able to just put my all into creating things. And I don't know, just, that's just what it makes, makes me happy, I guess. Did, um, I don't even know this about you. Did you go to uni? No, I didn't go to uni, no. Okay, so you finished school um, 
and I suppose in a way we kind of went a very similar direction in 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 that respect then um what was it like for you sort of finishing and then coming into the big wide world and trying to sort of figure out what direction you wanted to go in or how you sort of wanted to get your foot in the door because I suppose as you say it's it's not easy and a lot of people I think when they look at where you are now would be like oh I can probably do that it's quite simple you know you just need to do this and do this and do that you know it almost looks like Mm. the there's a formula that everyone can replicate and and do so how did you then navigate to get to the point you are today you know it's it's quite funny you say that because when I left um education I was stuck in a bit of a crisis of self-identity of lo- of deciding what I really want to do and taking the path that I thought that my mum wanted me to do and my peers thought I should do because in school it was very much like when doing GCSEs or A-levels, choosing your subjects, where I went to school, it would be like, if you chose subjects that was like, say, I don't know, photography or something like that, or art, people might see it as like, oh, you're taking a DOS subject because it's not like you're taking a written exam. But when I look back now, in hindsight, I'm like, that is ridiculous. And these are the subjects that I really, really should have been taking. But because of what my peers were saying, like, being like you should be doing business or science and stuff which is rubber I'm not a scientist come on um I look back which is wild so when I left school I ended up working for a promotions company an angel just like wearing a suit every day just very unhappy with where I was just because I thought that's what my peers wanted me to do what my mum wanted me to do and it was only when I took the decision of being like you know what I'm going to stop living my life of being like I want I'm going to do what people think I should do and just start doing what I want to do not even listening to parents or anything, like fully 100% doing what you want to do. And then my life changed completely. My, I was super, much more happy with what I was doing. My, my career progression was much, much better. And my peers ended up being much more happy for me, which was a really weird realisation. Um, going from working in a business environment to then getting to a place where I was actually feeling comfortable with the direction with the money but not being happy in my personal like mental health and just where I was at in life like going to a nine-to-five and sitting in an office behind a desk every day I was like this is a bit wild I should be working with creatives and listening to music on a sound system and just talking to people who are just like-minded not talking to Sally sitting on the desk desk next to me about what she had for dinner yeah, man. Sally doesn't know how to wheel up the bumper clock, does she? She doesn't even know about the bumper clock. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, like, you know, I think a lot of people um, look at the scenarios and the, and the situations and they kind of think like, oh, you know, it's all right because you're like you, you, you're not supposed to have problems or anything wrong with you. You're earning this much money or you're doing this or you're doing that or, you know, you've got this good job or whatever it is you're doing. Um, you know, you don't have a right to have problems or feel this kind of way. You should feel grateful. You know, you why would you want to take a risk and, and, and try and lose everything that you've got? So it's almost like, you know, even though we now encourage it, people don't realize that you should be living life on your own terms, essentially. Exactly that, exactly that. And you're so right. And people have the preconception of like, oh, because you're making X amount of money, that means that you're content in what you're doing and you're happy in what you're doing, which is a ridiculous thought process to have. And I've come to the realisation of I would rather make pennies in comparison to what I could potentially making in the business that I was working in before. 
but just be content with what I'm doing and happy and excited to wake up every day about the projects that I'm doing instead of dragging myself out of bed to go to the office just because I'm going to get a healthy paycheck at the end of the month. That's what it comes down to. And I think, um, you know, life starts to get more exciting when you're in, when you're in the steering wheel, especially, and when you're able to, you know, be able to navigate things in the way that you want. So talking about the navigation, um, everything that you kind of did essentially then led up to creating origin. But if we go back from there, um, when you started your own events, what was that like for you going and sort of figuring all that out? Cause I think a lot of people think it's quite simple. I've done my own events before, um, small scale and big, big scale. And I think that people are astonished at the amount of planning that actually goes into creating an event. Um, so what was it like for you? Um, firstly, organization wise, you just got to be on 1010. It's, it's just crazy. If you're doing things by yourself, as you will know, there's just a million and one things to think about. And even if you think of all of them, there's always going to be a couple more that you forget about that always seem to pop up last minute. You're like, oh, let's get that done. Let's get that done. So it's something that I've taken huge enjoyment out of over my life. And I can honestly say I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing now if I hadn't just like basically pull my finger out and just start my own event because doing that and doing it that alone was what led to me making the connections with people and booking the people I wanted to work with and having conversations with people and it was only through doing that that I then basically got introduced to one of the biggest promoters in London um shout out Ali B and he basically just took he's a he's a black man um who's one of the biggest um house music promoters working for a club in called Egg London and he just really took to me and he said, listen, um, I want to basically take you under my wing. Like you can start doing some stuff for me. So then I started like running the door at Brixton Electric, um, just like doing guest list and whatnot, just for literally for a couple of weeks as a favor to him. And then after that, he literally called me and he said, listen, I've got a position for you. Um, obviously he runs events with like thousands of people every week. And he says, I want you to um, be arts liaison. And so for people listeners, I don't know, that's literally just like, organizing with the managers the artists like bringing them to the club looking after them when they're there like when they're performing make sure that the tech rider like is all good the microphone dj decks all set up drinks and stuff so it's basically just chilling with them like something that i was my dream to do and i was like yeah cool and he said and he said to me like there are a long there's a long line of people waiting for this job but i'm giving it to you just because of the vibe that you've given me of how hard you've worked and because you're doing this by yourself and I was only a young young guy at the time I'm still a young guy I'm only 26 but and yeah that meant I was just every single week around rubbing shoulders with some of the biggest artists DJs promoters across the globe who are coming to perform and I just capitalized on it just made sure I worked extra hard and was just super courteous like did everything that I should possibly do but also having a backbone of just not letting people push me over and that made me make my connections that I have today, which led to me just being like, you know what, I've got all these connections. You know, when people like, you're the guy who can plug something. So people come to you for that. And you're like, oh, can you just connect me with, connect the dots for me? After a while of people doing that, I was like, why am I not capitalizing this and just making some money off of it? So I initially was like, cool, thought of a brand name, which is Origin Creations and something that was already naturally happening. I've just branded it and continued on doing it. And now we're doing a lot more than that. Which I think is um, 
probably one of the best ways that you can use your initiative because a lot of people they don't necessarily realize or have the sort of initiative to say let's try and do this ourselves as opposed to yeah we can just you know funnel through funnel through and Mm -hmm. you know whichever way you choose to do it of course it benefits you either way you know because you can become that guy essentially who is um trusted but at the same time you know you're just essentially the middleman for something you know you're not winning off of it um and i think that seeing the progressions that you were then able to do i mean you know, I think uh, when I met you in, in 2018, when you were doing the synth events at the time, I mean, that in itself was was big because for someone like you, and by like you, I mean like, you know, at the kind of age that we are, to be holding events weekly or monthly or whatever in some of the biggest uh, venues in London, having a stellar guest list, stellar acts performing you know is big and a lot of people of course, want... these these sorry to cut you off these things take time and i think a lot of people don't appreciate the time and effort that it takes to do this because I'm, I'm not i don't need to mention any names i don't need to talk down on anyone like that but i've seen too many times that people think that to create an event they can create a name create a flyer and then post up on instagram and then the, the, the rest is history but it doesn't work like that. Like, whoever you are, you, you've either got to be putting money on it or your time and effort of just going connecting the dots of being like, it was a situation of like hitting up my close people being like, listen, I'm doing the, doing the thing. Like, can you come come through, like support the thing, the whatever. And obviously if you're good, if the vibe is good, then it speaks for yourself. Once people come there once and the vibe is popping and you're getting a little too, too wide in that, then say no more, that's when they come back. And I think you've got to be able to be versatile because like we've noticed in the last year, which we'll come on to, you have to be able to adapt and change. You know, it might be a case that, you know, sometimes a a guest who is supposed to be performing pulls out at the last minute, you've got to find someone to cover, you know, or you need to figure out a way that you're going to be able to get drinks in for all of these people, or, you know, a videographer is not able to pull through or whatever it might be just to ensure that you're able to have this, run smoothly and cover it from all directions because essentially especially when you're starting out with something new the first impressions matter because those are what are going to determine whether people are going to come back tell their friends and continue to give you a lifeline 100 percent. and it's funny you mentioned about like how dj's dropping out last minute and whatnot or artists because if you're booking a certain caliber of dj or artist some of these people are playing in three, four um, different clubs in the same night, sometimes three different cities in the same weekend, whether it is different countries even. And so you need to be bearing in mind that this DJ artist might be coming from Spain or Italy or wherever it is that they've been performing. And a lot of the time, it's a situation of they're running to the airport after their set, they're jumping on a plane. As soon as they are scurrying in the car to the place and they might not be arriving until 30 seconds before they're meant to be on. It's yeah. that cutthroat. That it really, really is. I remember on um, New Year's a couple of years ago, um, I used to do tour management for um, a DJ and we did London, then Manchester and then Brighton. So up and down the country. And each one, I think we only arrived at the venue maybe 45 seconds before he was meant to be on, like at the nick of time. <laughs> <laughs> 
but that's that's i mean that's the nature of the industry essentially you know it's the same in 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 tv it's the same in music you know i remember times when uh when i'd sort of be riding with artists and uh you know they'd be like oh we need to go through and record so and so at the studio and you know they were essentially recording backing tracks or whatever they might be going on graham norton for example that evening and they were only recording the the backing vocals and everything to what their performance was going to be an hour or so before they were due to be at graham norton recording the performance you know there was just so yeah, many right. things and you know a lot of people probably have this um this perception that you know you know black people are naturally quite shit when it comes to timing and things like that so <laughs> it doesn't necessarily help i'll definitely fall into that category <laughs> me and you both but you know <laughs> it, it, it's something that that i think that we see quite a lot of in this industry is just that you know there is a lot to get done um you are having to stick to quite a tough uh, time you know routine in getting things done and you know, if you are someone who's able to multitask and to do things in a way that makes sense, not just to you, but to your management and everyone else who's in the loop too, it can work to your advantage quite well. Um, and I guess one of the things that's worked quite well for you is being able to network and utilize your network to the point where you've then been able to create origin now to become what it is, because essentially with, you know, everything that you've seen and done you've built up this network and now you're utilizing it in another way 100% it just comes down to the to the very cliche thing of that's not what you know is who you know and if you what people I think I need to relay to people is that they don't understand that networking is not just meeting a person it's the whole development and caring for a relationship it goes both ways. Like once you meet a person, you actually need to continue that relationship and actually have a genuine care for what this person is doing, not just like, oh, I've met you. Now I can just rinse you for whatever connections you have. It's not that. There's a whole, there is a whole process behind it. And being put into a room with these people is one thing. And then it's kind of learning the skill to be able to talk and with these people that's not fanboy fanboying them but appreciating what they do yeah and develop at the same time developing almost business relationship absolutely it's, it's a tricky one no 100 percent. i mean um earlier today i recorded an episode with one of my favorite designers um and you know i sat there and i was wearing the clothes as we were talking just to you know show him some appreciation and um, before the recording started, you know, we, we talked about, you know, my love of the brand and what he was able to do and everything. And it was quite, I think, touching for, for him because it was, it was like, you know, I'm showing an appreciation for his work and what he's done. But, you know, it wasn't a case of me whiling out as a lot of people do when they get to encounter certain people and end up in these situations. And I mean, you know, we both know people who have gone on to become, you know, celebrities, footballers, artists in whatever way. And they've then ended up in a situation where they're becoming obsessed or whatever with, you know, oh, this is so-and-so. I'm obsessed with them. Da -da 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 -da. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I mean, as you said, we know people who've gone from zero to 100 living like crazy, crazy lifestyles. And it's mad to watch them do what they're doing. But something that I've found over 
my time working in what I've been doing is that these people who are who tend to get like the proper big like A-list names, I found a lot of their egos a lot of the time are actually on the low. I know this sounds very, very opposite of what people expect, but I've always found that the bigger the artist tends to be, obviously you get the wild cards, their egos tend to be smaller. It's the smaller um, artists who have got more to prove that end up being a bit more feisty, as I'll say it, because they feel like they've got something to prove. They're going to be coming at you, asking, having crazy demands with crazy, crazy entourage. But when these artists are, have been doing this for years and they've been in the game forever, they know how the thing works. Like, they don't need to come through with like 500 people on their guest list because they've already been to three other clubs at the same time. No, of course. And especially when you look at some of the stories of these people, not everyone's had it easy, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah obviously. And um, I remember when we, especially when we look back at um, people that we know personally um, and the journeys that they've been on, you know, they get to a point sometimes where all they can do is look back and not look back in a case of, um, misunderstanding and forgetting their roots but you know showing some sort of appreciation for that journey that they've been on and remembering where they've come from as well which is essential that, that's a really really good point um which i've been trying to practice more and more and more because i've got a problem of always looking at the next step of not living in the moment enough and appreciating that what you're doing now is what you were trying to wish upon maybe a few years ago. But instead of right now, I'm looking at the next three steps, when in reality, I'm like, the journey that has been has been phenomenal. And just learning to practice appreciation of like, okay, I'm here, I'm in this spot. That might be where I want to be and that's the goal. But I need to remember a couple of years ago, this is what I was already wishing for. Absolutely. So learn, learning to have that balance of, I've now achieved something and I need to give myself a pat on the back. And also let me, let me look at the next step and let me see how we can keep it moving. What do you think when it comes to manifestation? Cause this is something which I've spoken to a couple of guests about and which is, I mean, it's something which I'm huge on because I think that like in order for us to get to where um, we are and, you know, by no means am I finished with where I want to be. Um, and I'm sure it's the same for you, but you have to visualize where you see yourself in three years, 10 years, whatever, and then work backwards from it. At least for me, it's the case of saying, okay, I want to achieve this in five years. But in order to achieve that, what do I need to do? Okay, I need to do one, two, three, four, five. Those are the steps. That's the ladder that's then going to take me to the next point. What's it like for you when it comes to visualizing things? Yeah, that's, it's a really, really good point. Um, that I think a lot of people get misconstrued that they think manifestation is just saying it into the... Speaking it into existence. And then it's just... Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd be saying, "Let me become Jeff Bezos tomorrow," because <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work like that. It's literally it's it's manifestation for me is being clear on the goals that you want and visualizing that so clearly and imagining yourself there. And then, as you said, just working back to what you feel like the steps are that you need to take along that along that journey that you're going to be taking. And of course, that along the journey the goals that you're going to be having will shift and they will move and whatnot. But it's just always, what's that next step? What's the step after that? And then just visualizing the journey you're going to, that you need to take to be able to get to that end goal of whatever that may be. Of course, when it comes to um, origin 
and everything that's gone on with 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 you creating that the last year especially with covid has forced you to adapt um when it comes to the nightlife scene especially which is something which i know that you are massive on what do you feel in terms of the support um and covid in 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 itself has had on the industry and then i guess on you as well Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a subject where I need to make sure that I get my point across as clearly as, as I can without get, letting my emotions get the better of me. Because I feel the nightclub industry and the whole nightlife industry, which is a huge thing in our country, has been on a downward spiral since the start of Corona in March last year. Like nightclubs is one of the most affected industries since the start, but it's also just been um, an industry that's been completely forgotten about. There's been very, very little support. Lots of, I think I read a stat on the BBC the other day that I think it was 78% of people working in this industry are considering leaving the industry because of how little the support has been. And that is a horrible thing to, to think. Like there's, countless people that I work with who are just doing nothing. Mental health is at an all-time low. Their earnings are at an all-time low for them. And it's been a very, very difficult time. And it's a situation where I feel like some people have tried to make the best of a scenario of trying to be as creative as possible, but it only gets to a certain point that you can take. And for an industry that's worth 66 billion pounds, for the government to just completely forget about it and act as if it's worthless, it's more than disappointing. No, of course. And, you know, when I think about musicians and all of the things that go into the music industry, I know a lot of my friends who are musicians make up a massive amount of their income from touring and i'm sure it's the same for djs at the clubs you know they don't make a lot of money from the streams or the endorsement deals you know a, a bulk of their earnings come from touring if they can't tour where you know they're earning you know six or seven figures for a show or to do a stint here and there they're not getting paid in you know an effective amount they would as compared to previous years so of, of course of course because obviously with the way that streaming is set up which i completely disagree with say when you put a song on spotify and you get a million um, listens on your track you're making pennies off of that so really what these artists and djs and producers are doing they're spending their time making their music but the way they make their money is touring and if we can't tour, especially with now that Brexit is coming into play, not only just COVID, of we are not even going to be able to possibly tour because if you're an up and coming artist who's not making very much money off your music, a tour is not really a way to make yourself lots of money. It's also just a way to get your name out there as much as possible. But now with Brexit, yeah, you're, it's looking like you're going to have to have visas to go to a lot of places, which adds a huge cost on top yeah. of what touring costs already are, it means a lot of these people are not going to be able to go and get their name out there in all these different countries. 
And it's, I don't know, it's really saddening to be honest, especially as I'm someone who come up of um, doing arts liaison and, and tour management. I really understand the fact that touring is what can take you from being a local DJ or artist to getting your name out there across the country and also across like across the whole of Europe, essentially. Yeah. And I think we have seen, you know, a rise pre-COVID in people exploring more creative roles, you know, in every single essence. So when something like this comes around and it's been neglected in the way that it has, I mean, even, you know, I've done an episode before and obviously in the episode and your brother, and we spoke about the fact that we don't drink, but no one can deny the fact that the amount of money that is generated in this country through the consumption of alcohol and the alcohol taxes and pubs and all of that economy in itself, what that does for this country is fantastic, undoubtedly. It brings a lot of undoubtedly, money. Undoubtedly, of course. Of course, no one can deny that. And the same thing goes for you know the sugar tax and all of these other things that are in place. They benefit the economy and that's what they're there to do. Same with nightlife and the same with all of these things, you know, if the artist can't tour and can't generate the earnings that they do, at the end of the day, the government then begin to suffer because of course, these artists are the ones earning the millions of pounds per show, but then they are also the ones paying the taxes that then generate money for the economy. And, you know, when you think about how big some of the riders are and how many people are in the crew, that are then being mm-hmm. supported through payroll, through working through, whether it be the manager, whether it be the agency, whether it be security, whether it be people who do the sound and the mixing and the lighting and everything else, all these jobs are gone. Um, so for you, what do you think needs to happen? Because, I mean, it seems unlikely now that clubs are sort of going to be opening within the next like two, three weeks and bam, we're all back to normal singing Kumbaya or whatever. But where do you, see, you know, I, 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 one can dream, but where do you see um, things going or, or, or where would you like to see things going from well, now? Well, touching on what you were saying about how some of these artists are making huge amounts of money per show. Um, firstly, a lot of these artists are going abroad getting charged, like paying, get paid, sorry, huge amounts of money in whatever country they go to. And then they bring it back into our economy. This is a huge benefit into, into um, that is not being considered in this industry. And bringing it back to the whole touring thing of it's looking like artists is, are going to struggle to be able to tour the EU. I think that one, there should at least maybe be an interim of a period where they allow these artists to just go and do what they need to do. But in the meantime, in this country, it's a very it's a very techie one, to be honest, because some of my friends are running like social distance events in inverted commas, which are unbelievably great vibes, but it will never match the vibes of being in a club or like at a show, which is something that is one of, honestly, I can say that it's been one of the, my greatest joys in my life being able to go and listen to some of my favorite artists perform the music that I, that I like to listen to. And this is something that I've leaned on for my mental health for years. 
not even not necessarily going out and getting absolutely burst at acting a fool, just be going out and hear like hearing the music that I like and watching people perform and vibing with people is something that I rely on for my just general happiness. You know what? And it's almost is... when you do it, when you when when you actually break it down, a lot of my friends I've met through not necessarily clubbing, but going out, you know, and mm-hmm. you meet the it's a social um, it's the social aspect behind it as well. Even just simple things like, you know, going to the pub or, or going and, and sitting in these kind of social settings. I find them, even though that I don't drink, I still go to the pub, which I think is bizarre for some people to understand. But, you know, I used to go to the pub and, uh, and, and watch the football games and go to the pub and have a Sunday lunch or whatever. Um, and it was just such a nice social event to have. And exactly, those- exactly that- those Sorry, kind of I, things just... as well <laughs> but those kind of things as well you know they're incredibly helpful for us and I was um I was actually just thinking uh and I googled it on my phone Ed Sheeran's tour grossed uh over half a billion pounds in it when he was touring which became the highest uh grossing tour in history which topped U2's so you imagine this man has generated over I think it was over 650 million pounds from touring that's a lot of money that he's then generating in the economy because he pays it. He's a UK taxpayer. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that are then on that tour that he's then supporting the incomes of. And it's this funnel effect that it has. Um, mm-hmm. When do you think that clubs will be open? Do you think it's going to be a case that people are going to need to be vaccinated in order to come into the clubs? Um, I think the whole vaccination thing is a very good step forwards into actually getting out of this whole scenario that we're in is something needs to happen. And a lot of the anti-vax people, like I totally hear where you're coming from, but I would just love to hear what your suggestions are if we're not going to be doing that. But one of the main um, progressions that we've seen recently, which has made lifted my spirits massively this week is quick tests before you go into venues go to a venue you just quickly have a test before you go in wait 20 minutes come up with positive or negative if you're negative go in have a good time i don't see why this hasn't been a thing for this whole whole period what difference does it make if you know that the person hasn't got covid why are we not letting these venues run it makes no sense it literally i I literally don't understand and as you were saying about this whole social aspect is this is one of the main reasons that I go on top of um, obviously going listening to music and whatnot, like you'll find me um, standing in the smoking area. I don't even smoke, but I'll be there half the night just chatting people's ears off just about nothing, just the whole social aspect. And I know for some people they in their nine to five lifestyles, they wait their whole week waiting so, to be able to go out on yes. the weekend. They wait their whole week and be, and they talk to their powers about where are we going, where are we going? And then you go do you know, there's nothing better than when you go to a venue yeah, and you go for, you're all going on a night out and then you go there and then randomly you just see bare people that you know. And then you're all in the same place, just all by chance and you're all there just having the times of your life. Like, th- these are one of the best things that I can possibly think of. And it's sad for me to think that people are in their 20s or starting uni or whatever it may be and they're missing out on all these life opportunities to stay inside, which I totally understand at first, this is exactly what needs to happen. But now I feel like because we have the rapid tests and whatnot, 
Why can't we open these clubs? Why can't we just do the rapid tests? And even the social distance um, events as well, like lots of these venues which have been sitting there, which are now going to be closed because they've not been able to stand the whole lot, not of not making any kind of income for a year now. Why can't we just open these up and do the rapid tests and just do social distance? Yeah, well... I mean, uh, I, I wish I had the answers and I wish I was able to flip in, you know, uh, point in, in, in some sort of direction. But I do think that um, a lot of people who I know who are in government um, are trying to lobby. And even people who are part of this government have had conversations with myself and said that they feel passionately about this and that they think that, you know, the way that uh, you know, the people directly in charge have handled this and allocated money and whatever has been wrong. Um, so I think for the most part, a lot of people now are feeling like, come on, it's time for us to sort of get things going. Um, so I'm hoping that things improve soon, sooner rather than later, because as you say, a lot of people aren't going to be able to experience some of the things that um, that we experience. And, you know, there's like two years of kids that are now in uni who aren't going to have experienced freshers, for example, you know, and all of these kind of things that are just, there's a lot of these experiences and things and they're just gone completely, you know? Um, of course. And I find it wild that the university students are, being forced to pay for the whole university experience, but they're not getting any of it. They're not getting be able to go out to, with all their powers, do freshers, which is essentially where you make the friends that you have for the rest of uni, potentially yeah. for the rest of your life. Yeah. But they're being forced to pay the, all of their rent to stay in their room, not be able to go anywhere or socialize, but they're being paid to charge whatever it's like, 9,000 pounds a year, whatever it is, to just essentially sit inside and do an online course which they could have done for potentially for free sure and um you know one of the things which i remember quite um quite vividly was before christmas when they said oh um you know yeah you'll be able to go like they said all the students come back to uni you know everything's going to be open it will all be fine and i sat there and i foresaw this shit show that was about to unfold and i thought there's no way that any of these people are going to be going off to uni and having a normal experience. There's just, there's just no way. I foresaw that happening. Everyone went back and then boom, they couldn't leave and it was a prison, which I don't even understand how they weren't able to leave because if that was me, I would have been out of there. Tutu's done. But, you know, <laughs> it was just, uh, you know, when you watch that situation unfold, I mean, you know, uh, even Stevie Wonder could have seen that coming. Do you know what I mean? Like that was just a madness yeah, in itself. You know but, you know, what we are seeing now, I think, is through the use of social media and this kind of thing, people are able to share their encounters and share what happens and bring attention to things that are happening right now, as opposed to them needing to wait for a news crew or someone to pick up a story or whatever. They can essentially, you know, make the story themselves and bring attention to these issues that, that are happening. And I... Um, I think it was a couple of months ago when I remember they put the, the, the fencing round one of the student campuses or something and all of the students came out and, uh, and, and, oh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. and then toppled it down. And I just thought, you know, this is sort of what you need to see is that essentially like a lot of these things that are happening are just sort of happening and, and people are having to comply with it. You know, they're not even being given an option, um, which again is sort of like 
begins to feel like your own values, your core values of, you know, just living and, and being a sort of almost being shrunk. You're being caged into your room and you're forced to eat, sleep, learn, do everything within these small four walls. Like you say, that you're paying upwards of nine grand a year for, which is, is wrong. And I mean, I, it, it does, it just blows your mind. And I think that the sooner we come out of um, this situation, um, the better it will be for everyone because I think unfortunately a lot of clubs haven't survived a lot of restaurants won't survive Um, a lot of people like you say will probably leave the industry unfortunately Um, and then you know these people are going to go off into other areas or whatever you know to try and 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 find a way essentially just to bring in an income and live a life you know yeah I, I feel like a lot of faith in the government has been lost over the last year or so, where there people just feel forgotten about, as you said, from the top down, from the performing artist down to the cleaner, these people are all equally as valuable in allowing these places to run. And where people are now being forgotten about, it's no surprise that I know more people since the start of COVID that have, commit, have committed suicide than I do know who's died of COVID. I understand that I'm young and I know most that the you're much more at risk to pass away if you're elderly. But it's a horrible fact to think that more people that I know have committed suicide than actually passed away from COVID. To think that the people, that their lives have been turned upside down that much that they couldn't even continue going anymore is something that will never, ever sit right with me. And I know that I've been really, really feeling it this this, um, most recent lockdown of now it's been super super long and I know that I've managed to diversify what I do and still stay creative in whatever I'm doing but the fact that I'm not able to go out and just be active is one of the hardest things for me to deal with it's like I'm constantly imploding on myself no of course and um, I guess in another way that uh, a lot of people have felt like they've been constantly um, imploding on themselves is uh, is something which I spoke about with your brother in in the last episode, but the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's kind of happened within the last year in that respect as well. Um, And -hmm. I just wanted to touch on that with you. Um, Obviously, we're not going to do a whole segment on let's talk about race because we've already done it, but it'd be good just to get your thoughts on what it's been like for you, because of course, um, I spoke about this briefly in the other episode, but you know, we can remember encounters that we've had at certain clubs and venues and things um within the nightlife industry and people might say well most of the entertainers are black and most of this and it's you know it's a very multicultural industry so you know you should that doesn't happen in that industry surely what's it been like for you though oh it's it's so it's such a mad circle i've been in because when you ask that question there's always one scenario that um i will always think back to of going to um a venue with my Asian friend and both of us, Asian as in he's um, half Indian, and both of us are dressed dapper. Like we are like, yeah, we are looking the part. I'm ready to just go chat to a couple galley, catch a couple wine, couple drinks, tutu vibe, and then I'll duck. But I get to the get to the, the, the front of the queue after a long queue. And first thing I hear is, oh, do you have tickets? Yes, we do. Do you have IDs? Yes, we do. Um, take the white woman on the door, takes a quick look, here's something in her ear. Sorry, guys, not today. So, excuse me? So, sorry, guys, can you stand to the side? I was like, 
but why? This is a ticket event. I've got my ticket. I've got my ID. There you go. I'm dressed apart. I'm not acting a fool. I'm literally just standing there. I know these venues. I'm not here acting a fool in the... This is years ago before I worked in the industry. And get told to stand to the side. And I kid you not, we stood to the side into a literal square that was filled up with five black guys, me and my Asian friends, and then every other person in the queue was white, just went straight through. And I was just like, wow. And then a few years later now, where my career has progressed, I've now gone back to the same club and now I'm working as one of the artist managers and I had to deal with the same people who didn't let me in. And it's so funny yeah, because um, I don't need to talk, talk their names. I don't need to give them any more clout than they already have. But the, when I got into the venue, they didn't remember me, I was a nobody. And when we were in the venue, the person who owns the place, I was, I, I was like, you know that a few years ago, I come here and you didn't let me in. And I explained to him the situation. He was like, oh, I'm sorry, like some absolute rubbish excuse. And then I was like, so why is it that when I called you out on Instagram a few years ago, you blocked me? And I was like, you're blocked. And I was like, yeah. And at the time I was standing behind the decks with all the people that worked there. And I was like, you have all blocked me on the ground because I called you out on it. And now I'm standing here and you're bringing me drinks and treating me like I'm royalty. But a few years ago when I was absolutely nobody, where were you? Oh. Uh... It's that future song. Crazy. Where you at? <laughs> yeah. I swear someone should have started playing that on the on the sound system. Oh man. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's um you know, it's there's two sides to the coin, of course, and I think a lot of people want to believe that racism doesn't exist and that these experiences are isolated incidents and whatever. Um, and you know, like I've said in an episode before. I fortunately have not had to have an encounter with the police where I've been stopped and searched or been pulled over or, you know, something's happened where I've arrived at a venue and they haven't let me in or, you know, I haven't had to go through Mm -hmm. that, but I know people that have, and I have witnessed, you know, prejudice towards them. So, you know, when it comes down to how we want to function as a society, if we still have people who are being mistreated are we living in an equal society? Yeah, for sure. And I think if you're working in the nightclub or music industry, as wherever it may be, you have you come across encounters with the police all the time because obviously the, the councils and police are always in constant contact about like who's playing, what's playing. And it's all too common that you find that black artists who are coming from certain scenarios who are trying to better themselves by doing music are being stopped because the police are literally not allowing them to perform because they want to keep them in in the place that they've come from, which is mad. And I can only, I remember when clubs were open, um, police were always, always in and around, as they should be with their presence to let you know that, like, that you're safe or whatever. But I remember twice I've been leaving one club at about seven in the morning after working 10 to like six, seven a.m. Um, running an event and then I've been walking down the road on the way home and I remember this is just before the lock, first lockdown began I was walking home down um, I don't need to say where it is I don't want to talk bad on the club I don't think it's anything to do with them but I was walking down the road and a police car drives past me and I was on the phone with to um, a young lady at the time but um, 
I was literally locked eyes with the police officers. And I was, you know, when you know straight away, like, oh no, something's not right here. They scurred around in the car and then literally just like cut me off on the pavement in their car. They have all jumped out of the car on some like gang vibe and been like, where are you, where, where are you going, where are you going? I was like, I've literally just left work. And they were like, really, where, where? I said the club and they were like, oh really? And I was like, why are you interrogating me like this? And meanwhile, I was still on the phone with the, with the, the girl I was talking to, she had heard everything. And they said, they literally said, oh, we've had a lot of cases of people selling drugs in this area. So we just want to ask you where you're coming from. I was like, what has that got anything to do with me? And they could be being like, oh, because you're out at this time. I was like, I've just told you where I've come from. I'm now going home. And we have like a very serious like interrogation from them where they're prodding me seemingly to make me kind of react to them. And Luckily, I've managed to keep my cool and just keep it moving. But these scenarios are all too common. Of course. And I think, um, you know, I, I said it with your brother, you know, I have spoken to my cousin about issues that he've had, he's had to encounter of, you know, him driving his nice car, being pulled over. Um, and, you know, he works in finance in the city. And I said to him, I made a joke uh, to my cousin and I was like, wow, it's such a shame. You know, you can't drink your, your super malt and wear your tech fleece and, and your do rag and drive your car around because you're going to get stopped. And he said, no, real talk. That's, that's, that's what it's like, you know? Um, and I think that again, until we get to a point where these incidences aren't happening, but then again, when you look at it, the excuse is always the same. You match a description of said person so it's like you know uh, do we all look the same you understand it's like come on do you know what i mean if you were to say oh every single white person i'm gonna stop you oh you match a description and then oh you know this will match it you know what i mean it's like it's like come off it you know and i i think that a lot of people don't realize that this is a case um regardless of how much money you've got, regardless of what you do, regardless of how big you get, because we know people who are extremely successful, you know, have an extremely, you know, good light shone, shone on them. They're in the public eye and still subjected to racial abuse um, day in, day out. You know, they've got to deal with that because of the nature of the, like, it's like, oh, because you do X, you have to deal with this as well. This is just something you've got to deal with. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. it's not something that you necessarily should have to deal with because no one should have to deal with it. But then it's like, where do we draw the line in being able to have these kind of things happen on social media, especially, you know, with all of the different things that are happening on there. So I'll ask you this. If you were to, let's say in a dream world, you know, you're in charge of Instagram strategy and you could put something in place to make it harder. Actually, fuck it. Let's go even bigger. You're in charge of... If it, let's merge them all together. You're in charge of Twitter strategy, Facebook strategy, and Instagram strategy. When it comes down to how you're going to control the hate, racism, and all of this kind of abuse that these people are subjected to, how are you going to deal with it? What, what would you do? This is something that we talk about frequently. I don't understand how social media and all of these platforms do not have in place that when you sign up to these to whatever account you're signing up to, you don't have to put identification address where you live, actually proving who you are to prevent these people creating fake accounts 
going on there and just complete hate coming off there. Going on to the comments saying this, that, and the other, and this person is that, this person is this. And if people actually had to stand in their account and do it, say it with their chest, I don't think they'd be doing it at all. They'd just be keeping them thoughts to themselves because these people are very sad, too much time that they have. And if they actually had to say it with their identification backing them, I don't think that we'd have half the things would happen. I always like to say, um, I think it was a line I heard from uh, Steph London's um, mixtape, which was uh, Tony Montana online, Hannah Montana in person. You know, them ones there where you've got, that was just a brilliant one that I've just remembered. And I think I must've heard that back in like 2018, 2017, but that's just stayed with me ever since. Cause it's so true, you know, these people. and it's I. Facts. I get it all the time, you know, people who want to jump up and in the comments, they, you know, they Billy Big Bollocks and whatever, but you meet them in person or, you know, they, they have some sort of interaction with you or whatever. And it's, it's crazy where, where's that energy gone? You know, where's that, you were saying it with your chest online, but in, in, in person, you've got nothing there. It's nothing. And I think that social media companies for me, at least have to take more responsibility you know, that it shouldn't be a case that it's just open and free fall and you can say whatever you want. Some of these words should be banned and censored. Um, you know, some of these things, it should be a case that you enter a certain combination of words or whatever, and it picks up on it and it just blocks the comment. Done. Finish. You know, it's we're in 2021. This is this this is not new tech. You know, this is stuff which we know that they can do. But again, essentially, these platforms aren't necessarily there to protect us because they're free and because they are there to generate money. But I did see a report that said the other day that the um, the government were looking to impose fines that were like 10 percent and 20 percent in their global revenue. They were going to um, charge them if they were found to you know, have incidences where they could remove certain messages or things and didn't. So that's a step in the right direction. But again, it's like, that's a step that's then come too late. Look at Caroline Flack, for example. It's not just a case of the social media aspect of things, but it's free speech and the press as well. And where do you draw that line between free speech and hate, you know, because it's a very fine line. But then again, like um, I, if I was in charge, I'd get rid of the comments in the Daily Mail. You know, I just don't think that there's any need for it. Like what kind of person in their right mind turns around and thinks you know what i'm going to sign up for an account on the daily mail and it's never a case that you see oh what a lovely person doing something great with their life oh good on them you know it's it's never something nice or 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 anything it's always just you know and it's almost as if you've come we've come to a point in life now where we almost know like okay you're going to mention the word daily mail and comments you know you just know that it's not going to be a good thing and again, the Daily Mail is a free newspaper. It's free press. It's there mm -hmm. to generate money and to generate clicks. They know people are going to, you know, click on things that aren't necessarily great and they make money off it. So it is what it is. And, 
you know, it's sad when you see things like that because you look at Caroline Flack, you look at the, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but the Britney Spears documentary, I want to watch that. I because, it's really good, yeah. You know, that's another one which, um, which I think, you know, opens our eyes, especially, you know, obviously the press has changed um, since sort of 2007 to 2010, but obviously, you know, it's a lot more invasive now in a way that they're sort of going about things because they can essentially stalk you without stalking you. But yeah, I think yeah, definitely. it's very different, the world that we're living in now, and we're having to sort of adapt and grow as, as time changes. When it comes to social media and, uh, and, and sort of you, the way that you like to use it, do you see it more as a personal enjoyment tool or a business tool to network how do you like like for me it's uh, i've said this before in a previous episode i don't like to use social media for um for my personal life i don't post anything from there really um no family mm-hmm. no no relationships no nothing because i just don't want to share any aspects of my life like that for me it's strictly business and that's it yeah i mean as we, as we were saying before, that these platforms are free. And I know lots of people are against social media and the way that things are run, but I'm, I'm actually a big advocate of social media. I think it provides like the perfect platforms for people who are trying to become anything, whether, whether that be a musician, artist, editor, chef, wherever it may be, this is the perfect platform. It's, it's, free, it's free promotion for you. And I totally agree there needs to be things in place to prevent certain things from happening. And I know we're constantly adapting and learning. This is all very new because I remember when I was a kid, none of this was around. I was out throwing sticks in the park, not on TikTok late at night. But now we know that there are, there are kids, like young, young kids on these platforms. And it can be very detrimental to the way people view themselves when they're seeing all these unbelievably beautiful women who just don't look like that. And unachievable amounts of beauty in photos, which obviously looks great, but it's so detrimental. So I'm very, very wary about what I use Instagram for. I'm careful about what I'm sharing and what I'm posting. It's something that I'm learning to be better at because before I'm social media was as big as it is in the game I would I probably wouldn't even be on social media like this I might have it when I talk to my friends but there would be no real reason for me to be be active on it only now I realize the importance of it do I try to stay more active on it and more engaging and so with me because of the people who follow me I know that they um a lot of the people who follow me are I like to engage them I like to have conversations with them if you dm me I might not reply straight away, but I do like to engage with conversations with whoever you are. And so I do like to give people a a slight insight into my life, but I'm very, very selective about what. Girlfriends never go on there. My mum, I'll post like her her achievements and whatnot. Um, But yeah, it's just finding the balance because people love to be really inner about and just trying to watch you for really negative reasons of course i don't know why i don't know what the purpose is of doing that but that's the reality of the situation and i'm trying to use it for the best i possibly could without trying to make anyone else feel like terrible about themselves whatever content i put out i would want 
people to be going away feeling better about themselves, not worse. Of course. And I think, I think people need to be really careful about what they're sharing and whatnot, because a lot of these, um, a lot of this content that people are posting, it, although it might be inform- informative, but the content they've posted might become the conceived in a way that makes someone feel very anxious. Yeah. And in a time right now where people are already on the brink, it can be, you need to be very careful about what you're sharing. Yeah, it can easily set someone over the edge. And I think, you know, I've got to a point now where I've been able to realise because I've spoken to so many of my of my female friends and said to them, is this girl using uh, FaceApp or whatever it's called? And I say to them, and then you start to work out like what the face kind of looks like and the smoothness and the lighting and everything. And you realise like mm. more cases than, than not, it's being used and these tools are, are, are out on social media essentially for for everyone to um to use which is the sad thing and you know i put a figure out a couple of weeks ago that was like uh one of the top um plastic surgeons was saying that he um was getting a lot of people coming through the clinic who were essentially like bringing pictures of themselves with filters on saying this is what i want to look like you know oh you know i these wrinkles here or oh you know just lift this here or lift that there or do this or my eyes or whatever it was you know or they're coming and they're bringing in pictures of other people that they've seen on instagram and saying i want to look like this i want to look like that and you know i mean guys aren't exactly um immune from the situation because i i actually know a couple of people um who are in the public eye who went and got the lipo instead of going to the gym you know that's now something which is which is going on and you can now get the six pack put in and all of that kind of thing as opposed to going and and working out this is this is the time that we're living in real talk you know so it's like you know in a time where everyone is oversharing for me less is more because then it's like you just drop a couple of things here and there it's perfect as opposed to you filling the the you know the the social media feed with content 24 7 you know in a world where everyone is overexposed it's good to have a little bit of mystery about you still perfect you know mm-hmm. when you when you get to a point when um when you have kids for example do you think that you would actively say to them like oh yeah have an instagram account oh yeah be public oh yeah do this oh yeah do that do you or do you think that you'd be a bit more restrictive when it comes to saying to them like you know or, or you know because a lot of people like they want to give them the phone and they want to give them this and they're scared because they think they're going to be missing out or get bullied because another one in the class is going to have it. Like what's your stance on, on upbringing and that kind of thing? I think I will, if I ever have kids, I will treat it the same way that I was treated of, I only got a phone when it was a complete necessity. I was going to school by myself. So I had to have it for emergencies and Late at night, I was not allowed to be on my phone. It was a book. Go read a book in bed. That gets you ready to go sleep. Not staying up at night, even though I might leave the computer on and run on and be on MSN talking to a bad thing when I was in school. <laughs> but, like, but like, that's a whole other conversation. But my mum doesn't know about that and I won't know about whatever my kids are doing. But it will be a situation of you only have a phone when you need one. And trying to prevent them using social media as much as possible until maybe they get over the age of, I don't know, where, however what I feel at the time. Yeah. But and trying to promote 
going outside and just being active over staying inside on your phone and whatnot. Because like a lot of the reason that I am today and I'm so active and I've achieved lots of things that I have done is because when I was a kid, I wasn't inside doing like games and uh, all the time. I was outside with my friends being active, like being creative, like thinking of games, like what should we do today? Taking up one pound, making it last the whole day. And it was the best time of my life. Whereas it's going to be interesting to see how the, gen the generation after us who don't seem to do any of that stuff, all their time is spent looking at a screen, how they're gonna turn out in maybe 30 years. It's gonna be interesting to see what things are saying. But I know that one of the greatest things of my childhood is not being have not having social media. Yeah, definitely. If I could if I could choose to not have social media for kids right now, like no, it should be banned until you get to a certain age. Definitely. I'm I'm with you on it. I mean I'm even thinking back to the days when, um, when, I, when I was growing up and I remember, I think I had, like, I, I never really enjoyed gaming or staying inside or doing any of that kind of shit. But I remember we had a, a Sega Mini, a Mega Drive. I remember that. I remember the Nintendo 64. I remember the PlayStation 1 with the little things and used to slot it in the in the you thing in the memory garden that's the one and you know you put the discs in the top i'm pretty sure i must i must still have that somewhere um and you know when the ps2 came out it was like oh you know that was the game changer <laughs> but you see like even those kind of things you know i could never sit there all day and all night and play it relentlessly i i just couldn't i physically couldn't i you know and i even now, you know, I, I work quite a lot of the time, but I can't sit and work for a full day and, and, and just do one thing. I have to get up. I have to move. I have to go out. I have to find something else to occupy my time because that's just the way I am. But I understand for a lot of kids nowadays, especially with the lockdown and everything else, they just want to sit all day and that they're fine doing that because they're like, oh, well, what else am I going to do? You know, and I think it's dangerous because then you end up with a with a generation of kids that don't have an appreciation for going out and exploring or you know and I think it teaches you a lot like I remember back in the day when I just used to go off exploring and you'd know it was time to come home because the street lights would come on Thanks. and then you know it was like yeah you might trespass on a bit of land or do this or do that but it was like you were always on the side of caution you know you were never doing anything that was mad to get yourself killed or whatever but you just mm. you understood like where the line was where you were not to cross what to do you know you you had these i like to call them like life skills that was what you had you had this sort of knowledge to know i don't do this i don't do that nowadays it's like okay kids are like i need to google this you know i need to figure this out you know hey yeah definitely what's siri gonna uh, tell learned, me you know i learned a lot of what i know now of like how to hold myself when walking around the street and just like learning street knowledge just by going living it as like a grown-up kid like going out and just being and living even scenarios. with conversation even just talking to people you know understanding the beauty yeah, exactly. of conversation and, and, and understanding people's emotions and being able to read different emotions as well a lot of kids can't do that now because they're used to seeing everything through the phone definitely and i feel as we were talking about before with the perception that these people are look how they do online when there's young girls on the instagram looking at all these gorgeous women 
who just don't look like that, it just makes their self-worth go through the floor. And it's super, super dangerous. Of course, and then you like, end I know, up... I know I, um, sorry, I, I know I was talking to a friend of mine, I'm not going to say her name, a couple of weeks ago, and she was like, I'm feeling really, really down at the moment, which is normal under the circumstances. But I was like, but what, what, is your, what does your day look like? She's like, oh, I'm not really doing a lot. But I was like, are you spending your days just scrolling through the gram? And she was like, I'm not going to lie, yeah, I'm spending hours like just scrolling through the gram. I was like, you need to just cut that part of your day out and then see how you feel. She was much better. Yeah, that price is way too high. You need to cut it. <laughs> you need to cut it. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, um, I can even think, like, one of my mates told me that he was uh, trying to get some of the business things off uh, of TikTok. And he said very quickly, when he looked at the screen time, it was something like 13 hours a day on TikTok. I was like, Shh, like you can't be doing that. Do you know what I mean? And even... Um, with Instagram, I say this in, uh, in, I think, episode two, you know, it's all about who you follow, what you expose yourself to, you know, the amount of time and everything else, because otherwise you end up in a situation where you are just like on a roundabout. And um, one of my good friends messaged me and she just said that she was like, she's had a situation where she's been struggling with um, her self-worth and self-esteem and how she sees herself, which hasn't been he- like, she knows that she has this, but it hasn't been helped by social media and so she made the conscious decision to delete her instagram and to remove herself from that whole side of things because she said that it was just having such a a negative effect on her that she felt like she had to do something about it and that's what it's about at the end of the day being proactive in those situations and understanding to take preventions and, and and do things because it's much easier for you to to cut it and be done with it than to be suffering from it and then try and figure out that whole mess later on down the line of how you move forward with it and everything else. And like you say, I think there's a lot of good looking women who look nothing like that on social media, you know, in real life. Um, And sometimes I even sit there and I'll be like, you're good looking, but what are you actually like, like what is the point of this page like what are you actually <laughs> like do you know what i mean like what are you actually doing like yeah, what are you doing yeah like, What's the purpose of like exactly <laughs> i sit there and i'm just like okay so yeah you're good looking but you don't have a business you're not promoting anything you're just here like it's like and, and then like you know no hate or disrespect to anyone but then i start to think like i start to make and i know this is bad but i start to make like judgments of the person i'm like wow like this is all they do like they've got all these followers and they're not like you know posting anything positive they're not showing people like imagine how good it would be if you and i I know they probably do exist i just haven't come across them because i'm sure that they're a dying breed much like us but um you know you see uh girls who are good looking who read who do like book club or something or mm. you know th- like that kind of thing is attractive you know or very you know, very in this day and age especially i i, I um i'm i've recorded an episode i'm not sure if i'm ever going to put it out because it was just like i sent it to my friend and he was like yeah this is going to turn some heads if you put this out but essentially it was about why um being good looking is not a personality trait and you know so many girls seem to believe that it is essentially um and guys as well you know they're guilty of that too Mm -hmm. um and just sort of thinking that you know it doesn't matter what your mind's like as long as what you look like is the playing the part and you know sort of having this essential belief that 
you don't need to worry about anything else in life so long as you're good looking you'll be fine and it's like I've sat there and been on dates with girls before where they've been good looking but the chat is just like like I've I've had more luck getting water out of a stone than I have having conversations with some of these girls it's like I say to them oh so what do you do you know, do you like reading? No. Do you like travel? No. Do you like this? No. Do you like that? No. I'm not really big on that. No. Do you do gym? No. Do you do it? Okay. So what do you do? Oh, I like uh, sitting on Instagram and taking selfies and, you know, PLT and boohoo and this bumberclark bullshit and whatnot. But <laughs> like, you know, I'm not going to name any names or anything because then I'm pretty sure we've been here for another hour at least. But, uh, you know, you know what it's like. It's, it's, you know what? I'm so careful these days, yeah, about where I put my energy into that type of thing. Over lockdown, yeah, I noticed that my explore feed was becoming too much of just paintings just taking up my explosions so like, you know <laughs> yeah just gal so i literally for like a few week period i was like if a girl that's nice on this um explore feed pops up i'm blocking them i swear down my explore feed changes i should now get an award for the longest spot list <laughs> <laughs> you know just what so i don't I see that all the time just all these ridiculously good girl, like nice looking girls i'm just like this is not good for me right now when I'm stuck at home doing nothing but let watching see, stuff. Right? Let me see what my explore feed is. I'm going to... Let's see. Okay. This 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 says right. a lot about a person. So there's my explore feed. So there's... Okay. Right. We can read this out so that people... people Ah, fuck it. It's going out. But you can... Okay, there we go. So you can kind of see, see, yeah, see that there's mostly cars... Watches. Cars, watches, um, maybe like one or two girls, but not definitely not overpowered by girls, but mainly watches and stuff, really. That's it. There's an iPhone. There's a, there's a phone. We can scroll down a bit more. There's another girl, but just then again, just more watches. Shoes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another girl that's come See, up this there. Is, that's calm. That's calm. Jamie that's Oliver's popped up. <laughs> you know, I, I that's yeah, the thing. See, when I look at... When I look at my explore feed, yeah, it's literally, you can't even see it. But it's just random weird videos, <laughs> clothes, and like football. And football. And that's it. That's how it should be, though. Like, you know, obviously, I think that the, it obviously is this very smart algorithm. I know that they have something in place where it like measures how long you look at a picture for and then will send you more stuff um, compared to mm. that. But like I say, like I, limit my screen time on most apps to between 10 minutes to an hour a day um, and keep it at that just because it means that then I'm not focused on you know getting caught up in that too much because I just think that once you are sucked in it's very difficult for you to get out of that you know you're you're trapped essentially you're in you're done yeah. you're finished you know so that's probably I think probably a, a quite a key teachable moment for for people um we'll wrap up soon but i guess the next question i wanted to ask you was when it comes to where you are now looking back obviously you've learned a lot you've seen a lot you've changed a lot what advice would you give to a 16 year old you be truthful about what you want out of life 
where be that with your career, with your personal progression, out of your friends, be very, very honest with yourself about what it is that you want and do not compromise on that no matter what it is. You got it's just, it's really hard at the moment, I feel, to just completely do whatever you want to and not take anyone else's perception into consideration. When like, I honestly feel like you should be unapolog- unapologetically selfish about your journey and what you want out of life. And when I was 16, I think I was thinking of what the opinions of a lot of people who don't mean anything in terms of like where I'm going to be in my life too much. And you need to be super careful of that and who you're around and who you allow to share your energy with. It's such an important thing that who like you're a product of your environment. And if you're going to spend half your day chilling with people who are acting like bums, you're most likely going to be a bum. But if you spend your day chilling with Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, best believe that you're going to become a baller. Like that's just the way the game goes. And so it's just being careful about what you want out of life and who you're actually spending your days with to actually achieve where you're trying to go. Because if you who you're spending your days with and how you're spending your day to day doesn't add up to what your end goal is, then you're just playing yourself. Of course, most definitely. Last question. This is this is a big one. This is one which um, it's not a trick question. Let's say um, lockdown's done. You have six people coming over to the house and you can cook for them or there's going to be a chef or whatever. You can have six people come to your house. Okay. Every single one of them is either dead or alive. So anyone that has ever lived can come to this dinner party, six guests. What are they eating and who are they? Oh, first thing that we're going to be eating, we're eating Caribbean food, curry goat, salt fish, ackee, rice and peas, patties of guanin, festivals. It's the whole works and there's no two, two ways about it. If you don't like spice, then you can <laughs> have a workout. Um, so yeah, but who I'm inviting? Okay, so first things first, I'll say you can be there because you are the person who proposed this to me, so you get the right to sit at the table. You know what I was actually going to say? I hope I'm invited to this because the food sounds nice, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you can be there. My brother can be there as well. So us three will be gang and we'll interview. I'm going to say Hugh Hefner. He'll be one. Because I need to know about how this guy went about it. I need to know. Muhammad Ali would be a second one in his heyday. And the third one would probably be Christopher Nolan. Who, for the, those that don't know, is the guy that's made Interstellar, Inception, Tenet, like all my favourite movies, basically. And we would just all have a whale of a time. That's mad. That's actually a good one. I didn't even think of that. That's, that's, wow. Yeah. That might be the best one that I've had yet. (laughs) (laughs) And not just because that's the only one that I've been invited to. (laughs) 
<laughs> no man that, that's 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 wicked honestly it's been a it's been a pleasure to be able to sit here and and I suppose you know very similar to a lot of the other interviews I've done it's people that I know so it's conversations that I have with you on the regular but to record it and be able to put it out for people is is next level you know this is a whole different thing it's giving people the opportunity to listen in we know that people are nosy and they like these type of fly on the wall conversations that they can gain an insight into so thank you honestly for for coming on um where can everyone find you what are the apps and everything else so you can find me at origin nate on the instagram that's origin underscore underscore nate um my brand is creations origin um which is creations.origin um if you're ever into anything creative like we make music videos documentaries make some of your favorite artists um edits and whatnot so please like Go check that. And if you ever want to just hit me up on the gram about anything, then please do that. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, yeah, I guess, I guess this is it. We'll see you next week.